So, continuing with lessons from the desert. And uh, th this has been a, a, a series that has um, knocked some, some rust off in me as far as studying uh, geography and culture. And it, it's also just been really good on a spiritual level for me because the the beauty of of understanding why things go the way they go sometimes in life e even though it's not fully explained the the hard times in life that we don't understand when you have a a baseline understanding that sometimes god takes you through hard things not only to reveal things in you but to do things through you and the the desert that he took the children of israel through and and this is in place of going through the scripture of numbers scripture by scripture okay if you want to go read about a lot of the accounts go read the book of numbers and and look at it through this lens of god is taking the children of israel out there to get to know them and for them to know him in an intimate way because you get out in the desert you better believe in God because there's nothing else out there. Okay, a lot of people feel that way about this part of the world that, you know, they fly over these states because only God could love those places. And we're closer to God because we get to see where he paints sunrises and sunsets. So he's standing in between them, which means he's right here. Uh, anyways, that will, I'll have friends that'll say that's not theologically sound at all. And that's okay because not here for theology why the desert because it's demanding and it builds character because it's destructive it builds interdependence because it's isolating it builds community and because it's a desert it builds nations or in our world it builds kingdoms Part four, I found two more trees to talk about. Who knew there were so many trees in the desert? And, and my daughter is over here just like, I can't believe dad's going to talk about a tree again. Again, he's going to talk about a tree, weirdo. But look at the picture of this tree. The, this tree is so different from every other tree we've talked about so far. Look at the color of green. E even with the, the kind of palm that's hanging out in the background, this obviously, you know, the, this tree was transplanted. This is not how it looks in the desert, other than that dark, rich shade of green. All the other trees we've looked at have had that kind of green camo that we think of with the military, where it's kind of a smoky, faded green. Look how bright and lush this thing looks and the other thing that sticks out there's a big piece of fruit on it okay i'm looking down and my daughter's eating crackers and i'm thinking man look at that fruit and i'm kind of hungry and then i look and see goldfish or cheese it's i'm not sure which <laughs> goldfish all right i'm chasing squirrels today so just hang on but but that tree it looks so lush and it looks so green and it looks like it doesn't belong in the desert Back to Jeremiah, this is a familiar passage for us if we jump ahead a few verses, but 
Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land. Now, did that tree look like it was growing in an uninhabited salt land? Okay, let's look at uh, a reminder from Samuel where God was taking him to anoint David king. He says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Okay, we're going to go back to that tree real quick. Everything about this tree looks like it's got it all together. Everything seems to be going well for this tree despite the environment that it's in. It's lush, it's green, it's bearing fruit. Now for the reality of this tree. This tree is called the Arar tree, which I, I call it the double pirate tree because it's Arar. But that, that's just a joke with me. This is what the inside of that fruit looks like. Okay, I don't know how good that shows up. It's, it's not a super clear picture. But the inside of that fruit, when you take that fruit off the Arar tree, it feels like a good, full, heavy fruit that's going to have substance to it. And when you open it up, it makes kind of a popping sound, is what I, when I researched it, they said it makes a pop. And on the inside of it's just this white, sticky, spiderweb-looking material. And it's actually toxic to humans. If you were to eat it, you would get violently ill. Looking at that fruit and just judging it with your eyes, that tree looks like it has it all together. It looks like it's going to provide something for you. It looks like something that, hey, I can take a hold of what it has and it will give me life. And you open it up and it's actually full of death and emptiness. It's empty fruit. It's toxic and it's of no value to anyone in the desert. Most Bedou or Bedouin, when they find these trees, they cut them down and burn them. Because... They're using up resources that good trees could use in the desert. That, that tree is, looks like it has it all together. And, and I wonder sometimes how many people we look at in our life and, and how many people being real, you know, come in and, and sit in the pew in church and act like they have it all together. We're just like that fruit. We're, we're planted in a desert just like everybody else. This, this world is not full of everything that we need. Uh, when we get to heaven, we'll know what it's like to be rooted by a stream of living water, I'm telling you. But if you're not rooted to that stream in this life, you can still look like you got it all going. You can still look like you're full of life and full of substance, but on the inside... You really don't have it together. And there's proof of that in Matthew when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
that, that's a word resonates really well. It's a buzzword that people use as an excuse not to go to church because all oh, the, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, so is Walmart. So, you know, so is Memorial Stadium. So is Boom Pickens. We still go to those places. I mean, Walmart's really full of them. Watch for falling prices. Has anybody ever watched prices fall in Walmart? It's the most hypocritical statement I've ever heard a company use as an advertising slogan. I have not had to wear a hard hat yet. <laughs> for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. You're like a piece of fruit that when you open it up, it's nothing but spider webs that are toxic and dead. I've seen people like that. And if I'm being real and being honest, I've gone through phases in my life as a Christian where I probably was that. I knew all the right things to say. I knew how to come in and sit like I had it all together. And, and on the inside, I was just dying. I didn't let the world see it. I put on that good fruit skin. And I didn't let the world see that I was just as wrecked and broken as the worst of whoever came in the door. And, and I think sometimes, church, that we fail to recognize that in ourselves. We, we fail to see that we're not giving life out when we do that. God can do more in your brokenness than he can do in your act of having it all together. If you read through scripture, God takes broken and hurting people, people who consider themselves of no worth, not in false humility, but in the reality of who they are. Gideon is one of my favorite examples of this because the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon who's threshing grain in a wine press. And the angel says, you know, hail to you, mighty man of valor. Gideon's actually committing an act of, he's, uh, it's a criminal act. He's threshing wheat and he's hiding it from a occupational government. And you know, he's committing a crime. He's being a coward. And God identifies him as a, a mighty man of valor. In Gideon's life, he probably felt like that fruit. I'm not really putting anything out there. And, and the reason I, I wanted to share about the Arar tree is, is it serves as a, a warning to us as believers. One, don't be that tree. Don't act like you have it all together when you don't. Because when you act like you have it all together and you don't, you're robbing your brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity to minister to you, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're not just called to do that to the lost and dying world. We're called to do it to each other. Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. How we care for each other is often dependent on how much we allow ourselves to be cared for. And that's tough because we're, we're in a part of the world that pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it together. We've been told that our whole life. Well, guess what? That's not scriptural. 
You're not called to have it all together. You're not called to be self-made because if you're self-made, God will do nothing with you. The other tree that we have to talk about this morning is the kind of tree God desires for us to be. The tamarisk tree. And you have to go way back to January. This is the last time I talked, maybe early February, was the last time I mentioned the tamarisk tree. And it, it shows up the first time in Scripture that Abraham plants a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. This is after he makes a treaty with the Philistines. And there's a reason he chose the tamarisk tree. The, the tamarisk tree is the one tree you'll find in the desert that didn't get there on its own. This tree really looks like it belongs in the desert, right? Not really. I mean, it's a beautiful tree. Look at the shade that thing kicks off, even in a low-quality image. Look at how much shade there is. And, and this is a shade like no other. I'll explain it in a minute. But this tree has to be planted or cultivated. It will not just naturally seed and grow in the desert. It takes an intentional act by someone to get that tree to grow there. And it will not fully mature for three generations. And that's not three generations of trees, that's three generations of mankind. You don't plant a tamarisk tree and expect to enjoy the benefit of its shade. You don't plan for your son or your daughter to enjoy the benefit of its shade. Your children's children and every generation after that reaps the benefit of a tamarisk tree. Now the tamarisk tree is unique because it's able to draw moisture from the air around it and then it redistributes it through its leaves. It's one of the most unique types of photosynthesis you'll find in the world. And the shade of the tree of the tamarisk is 10 to 15 degrees cooler than the shade of any other tree in the desert. When you step under it, it is 10 to 15 degrees cooler than the shade of a tree next to it. Now I look at that and I'm thinking, man, this is a preacher's best friend because it is almost endless on examples you can use in, in sermons. Because the, the kind of cool, calm that we're called to bring to the world, the comfort, protection, and coolness should be 10 to 15 degrees cooler than the rest of the world. Than the best of what the world has to offer. Because that's not just 10 to 15 degrees cooler than the outside air. It's cooler than the next best shade in the desert. You ever considered yourself to be that? You're supposed to be better help to our world than the best that this world has to offer? And not just a little better. How much better would outside feel if it were 15 degrees warmer today? It's kind of odd. We're talking about the desert. I'm saying heat it up outside. 100 106 degree day, how much better does it feel when you knock 15 degrees off it? If you've ever built fence in that, you know 15 degrees cooler is a lot cooler. If you don't hit 
that 15 degrees in the right area, you can't make ice cream. If it's 15 degrees too warm, you'll just have soup. The question that I was left with when I looked at this is, what tamarisk trees do you recognize in your life? And, and I'll tell you that, that my lineage and my heritage of faith, it, I can look back and I can see it as a tamarisk tree. I, I can name you the evangelist who came and held a revival at which my great-grandparents started faithfully attending a church. And that same evangelist was the one who led my grandparents to a relationship with Christ. And I was fortunate enough to get to meet the man and, and he spoke into my life as well. And, and I'm not old enough to be old yet, but I'm beginning to see the beauty of understanding generations and looking towards things I can do both spiritually and, and in our world physically to leave a heritage for not my kids, maybe not even my grandkids, but my great grandkids. You know, somewhere down the road, I hope somebody's great grandkid tells my great grandkids that because your grandpa, your great great grandpa loved Jesus, my parents told me about Jesus. And that's why I'm here to tell you about Jesus. That's what a tamarisk tree is spiritually. And where are you planting those in your life? I often speak to teachers because we have such a big population of them, but are you the tamarisk tree of your classroom? When your students come in, maybe they have a terrible home life and they come in and they suddenly realize, hey, this is a place I'm loved. This is a place where I'm cared for, where I'm safe. It's a different climate than what I go home to. Is that how your coworkers see you when they walk in the office? That this is a different climate than what I deal with in the office next door? Do people come up to you in the store not knowing why and thinking, hey, you're a person who will help me? Are you planting tamarisk trees? You can never underestimate one small act of kindness. It may be the only thing that saves a person's life that day because they were seen, they were heard. And God calls us to be that tree. And I'm not telling you, you grow into it right away. The, the other thing about the Arar is it's kind of like these scrubby cedars we have in this part of the world. It grows very fast and, and it's pretty well worthless and noxious. 
Uh, anybody have that feeling about red cedars? <laughs> I hate them for what they do to my allergies, uh, but also hate how fast they grow and they're the weed of trees. But a tamarisk, it takes time. So where are you planting? And tying this back to the teachings of Jesus, Jesus told about the parable of the sower. The, the interesting thing about Abraham planting the tamarisk tree, Abraham didn't stay there and, and finish taking care of its cultivation. Someone else did. Sometimes we're, we're so worried that we have to sow and, and fertilize and because a lot of you do that for a living. You watch crops grow. We, we spiritually think we have to be the one responsible for all of that. Jesus said a certain man went and sowed seed. And each, from there on, the discussion is not about the sower, it's about the seed. And never says he came back and checked on it. Never says he came back and watered it. And I hope that starts to free some people up that maybe your one little job in that person's life was to say a friendly hello and Jesus loves you. That may have been all Jesus wanted you to do. Or maybe, hey, can I help you carry those groceries to your car? And when they say thank you, you can say you're welcome. Jesus loves you. Maybe it's opening a door. Simple, polite gesture. And then Jesus loves you. Because the motivation of your heart is driven by the love of God. Where are you planting trees? The sower planted seed everywhere. Sometimes we overlook that because we focus so much on the seed that we overlook the fact that he, the sower planted it everywhere and left the results to God. Best advice I ever got is you can't save them all. You can't save them all, but you can love them all. So this week, try and find the tamarisk trees in your life. The places God has, has built you, shelter, comfort, and protection. And be thankful for those. And ask God to show you where He wants you to plant those trees for someone else. Because I'd a lot rather be a tamarisk tree than an arar. And if, if the discussion of the arar hit too close to home, it's never too late to let God transform you into a tamarisk. You can't trust the things of this world. Heavenly Father, thank you.